0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Basis Points Podcast. I'm Kevin Flanagan, head of fixed income strategy at Wisdom Tree Asset Management. I have a special guest on my show this week, Matt Hornbach, global head of macro strategy at Morgan Stanley. Matt, great to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me on, Kevin. It's my pleasure.
0: I mean, with what's going on in the fixed income markets up to this point and what we're expecting for the rest of this year, I thought it was ideal to have somebody such as yourself on for this podcast. And lo and behold, also great timing. You guys just put out your 2022 second half outlook as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a process that um, all of Morgan Stanley research analysts go through twice a year, uh, we do a lot of collaboration with our economists, and we come out with a set of investment recommendations and forecasts.
0: So, you know, I mean, just we'll 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 do the Cliff Notes version, right, for this podcast. Um, so, I mean, just looking about, obviously, the news of the year is always about inflation, and I just wanted to get what is your guys' thoughts about inflation? You know, are you expecting? Are we at a peak? Close to a peak? What about base effects? How is that going to impact CPI going forward? And more importantly, how is the Fed going to look at that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when we think about inflation, we really think about it more globally than than just in in the U.S. And the reason why we think about it more globally is because when we're forecasting inflation to peak in the U.S. um, already, I mean, our economists have inflation already Peaking uh, in the US, we don't yet have it peaking in Europe, for example. So we're forecasting a peak in European inflation later this year. And because central banks around the world and bond markets, uh, currency markets around the world are responding not just to inflation in the United States, we have to have a more global perspective on inflation. When thinking about markets, a, a good example, really, Kevin, is just this this week. In fact, that we're talking uh, earlier this week, we had a, an upside surprise in European inflation. It, it came out much higher than economists were expecting, and the U.S. Treasury market, uh, you know, rose in yield uh, pretty aggressively on the back of inflation that came out of Europe. So, we really have to think of more globally um, when we. Th- Talk about inflation, and what our economists are expecting is our peaks in inflation this year, the U.S. before Europe, uh, and there's I think an interesting question about how inflation might develop in a country like Japan, which has is really the poster child for low levels of inflation, uh, much lower than the central bank uh, would would be hoping for for decades. So that that's also a big focus in the marketplace. Uh, is inflation in Japan.
0: So, I mean, we're going to we're going to talk to the the Fed in in a couple of minutes, obviously, with their meeting coming up on June 15th. But I mean, I I think that was a great point. And let's look at what other global central banks say in the developed markets. I mean, what are your guys' expectations for the ECB, for the Bank of Japan? I mean, could the Bank of Japan join the rate hike party at any time in the future? And will the ECB be raising rates, do you think, second half of this year as well?
1: So for the ECB, I'll start there, we we do expect the ECB to take interest rates higher starting in July, continuing in September, and then once again in December. So by the end of the year, we would expect uh, the ECB's policy rates to be above zero, which would be remarkable. Um, for Japan, the Bank of Japan, we're not expecting the Bank of Japan to be raising rates anytime soon, but we are expecting the Bank of Japan to tweak its monetary policy, which currently is trying to cap the level of 10-year Japanese government bond yields uh, at at a level 25 basis points or below. We expect them to essentially raise that cap and allow 10-year JGBs, 10-year Japanese government bond yields to, to rise above 25 basis points when the Bank of Japan meets in October. So, we are expecting these two very important central banks who have essentially been uh, delivering extraordinarily accommodative monetary policy for much longer than the Fed has been, we're, we're expecting them to, to, to change those policies, and that, that is very, very notable.
0: And just for those of you out there, if you're not familiar with the ECB, Matt and I were referring to the European Central Bank. So let's let's talk about the Fed. So um, are your expectations guided by Powell? Are you expecting 250 basis points move in June and July? And what happens after that? What about I think we have three more meetings after July. What are your guys thoughts for that?
1: Absolutely. So uh, Morgan Stanley's economists uh, in the U.S., led by Ellen Zentner, uh, expect the Fed to deliver two more 50 basis point rate hikes beginning with the upcoming meeting in June. Uh, And then uh, in September, downshift to a pace of 25 basis points per meeting until the Fed takes its target uh, range uh, to just above 3%. So that is what we are currently forecasting. Uh, the you know the, the speeches, the commentary that you hear from FOMC participants, of course, um, are, are much more mixed. <laughs> there really is no central forecast that comes out of these FOMC participants and what they say. Some of them, uh, I think probably have in mind continuing to hike in 50 basis point increments at, at least through uh, September. Uh, which would be one more 50 basis point rate hike than we're currently forecasting. But, you know, other FOMC participants, you know, might be might be more skeptical or at least wanting to see more data before, you know, coming down on one side or the other on that question.
0: That's a great segue, So I kind of want to ask you about let's call it the elephant in the room. Right. And and that's been what we've been seeing in the Treasury market, a lot of financial literature um, of late talking about. The Fed's going to go too far, too fast, and perhaps create a policy mistake, tip us into a recession. Um, do you guys have any concerns? What will the Fed be looking at? Are financial conditions are they going to be the important um, indicator for the Fed? Inflation, some of the, all of the above. Is there a path that you think would get the Fed to not raise rates as aggressively? As the markets were once thinking.
1: So I, I think financial conditions and the Fed's reading of those financial conditions is is going to be of paramount importance in in, in determining whether or not the Fed takes its policy tightening initiative too far. Um, the reason why I say this is because with traditional monetary policy, the the belief is that it operates with the the Milton Friedman famous uh, long and variable lags. So, the, the literature might suggest that uh, when the Fed raises policy rates in a given meeting or a given month, uh, it might take 12, 18, or 24 months for that for that policy tightening to actually have an impact on the real economy. Uh, and so, if you're going to be tightening policy very aggressively, as the Fed has done. Um, you are very unlikely going to know how that policy tightening will affect the economy for some time. So, for example, um, this year, Kevin, the Fed is going to take policy rates from 0%, very likely to 2.5%, in six within six months or thereabouts. Uh, that's an extraordinarily short amount of time to raise policy rates that quickly. Um, and so if the Fed continues to to change policy based on backward looking data, <clears throat> in other words, data that tells us what happened in the past but might not tell us very much about what will happen in the future, <clears throat> then then I think they put themselves at greater risk for going too far with policy. But at some point along this path, if the Fed starts looking, taking a more forward-looking approach um, to thinking about the economy, to thinking about inflation, uh, then they they may be able to engineer a soft landing. It really depends on what economic data they look at. Is it only backward-looking data? Do they try to take a more forward-looking approach at some point during this process? And my suspicion is that by the time they take policy rates to a more normal level, to use Powell's words, uh, or what what you and I might call a neutral, a more neutral level for monetary policy, um, I think it would be well advised for the approach to take a a bit more of a forward-looking view, and that's where financial conditions I think can can play an important role uh, in helping them determine how 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 far to take policy tightening once they've once they've reached neutral.
0: So I, I think. A nice way to to tie this up, one of the the aspects of of your uh, mid-year outlook that I I found fascinating was your discussion about the yield curve. And I know in in my client conversations, people are saying, well, the yield curve went inverted, 2s, 10s inverted, um, and that's always been a precursor for recessions. You guys had a little interesting spin on it. Maybe spin's the wrong word, but I I thought it made a lot of sense to me. Is the yield curve of 2022 the same as looking at the yield curve of 1992? So I was wondering if you could kind of give us some of your thoughts uh, on that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, There is a major difference, really one major difference uh, between the yield curve today and the yield curve back in, in the 1990s and that is that a lot of the treasury bonds that have been issued have been taken out of the marketplace by the Fed itself. So the Fed has purchased a lot of these securities uh, over the past decade, and when it is removing securities from from the marketplace and giving investors back the cash that that they would have invested in, in these securities, it leaves a lot of cash floating around in the system. And, uh, and so as yields rise, as they have been doing, um, investors might decide to take that cash and go buy the bonds that they had once sold to the Fed. <clears throat> and so this will ultimately put downward pressure on interest rates across the yield curve, um, but more so in the longer end of the yield curve. And so that really, I think, goes a long way to explaining why the yield curve is so much flatter today uh, for a given level of policy or a given stance of monetary policy. The yield curve is much flatter today than it, it was in the 1990s because of the Fed's uh, purchase, asset purchase programs.
0: So the the premise or the conclusion that you guys were making essentially was, I mean, just look at the difference in yield is what we're talking about, say, between the Treasury two-year note and the Treasury 10-year note, that we would need to see a larger inversion. In other words, a larger negative differential between that two rather than what we've seen before. So uh, what was it, you know, a few weeks back, a month or so ago, when, you know, we went negative a couple of basis points, that doesn't mean the same as it once did, that you guys are looking at or, or, you know, you need something to be say negative fifty basis points, that
1: has more meaning to it in your opinion, right? Absolutely. That's exactly right. <clears throat> kevin, the the yield curve inversion that is often talked about in 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 markets uh, is not the same type of recession indicator or the level of the yield curve that may have once signaled or uh, you know uh, got people talking about a recession. Uh, that level is much lower today or the, the shape of the curve is much flatter today um, that, that would signal a, a recession than it was a, a decade ago or two decades ago.
0: That's great. I mean, I I, I love that point. I, I think that's a message that we would hope to get out there more because a lot of people are, are just so focused on the yield curve and what it has done in the past. So I'm going to leave it there. Matt, thanks again for coming on. Hopefully, we can have you on in the in the not-too-distant future. It's been a pleasure catching up with you again.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. It's my pleasure, and um, best of luck uh, as we make our way through the balance of the year. Thanks,
0: Matt. Be well, everybody. And before investing, carefully consider a fund's investment objectives, risk charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus available at wisdomtree.com. Read it carefully.